We're going to continue our, our series on the, on the book of Genesis this morning, all right? And, and we've been looking at this. This is actually the 10th week in the series this summer. Started it 10 weeks ago, June 19. And, uh, and, and we've been looking at Abraham. And, and the reason I mention that this is the, the 10th sermon in this series is that I want you to just kind of recognize that when we read the story of Abraham, one of the main themes of the story of Abraham is we are still waiting. We have been at this for 10 weeks. It's been 34, 35 years, something like that for Abraham. But we are still waiting for a son. We were promised that at the beginning. We were promised that 10 weeks ago. And and we've been waiting week after week after week. And it's been going on and on and on. And one of the reasons I I mention that is because we need to understand that, that our walk with God often includes waiting. That being in relationship with God is certainly the best place to be, but it also often includes waiting and in in-between time. And, and, and we're going to see that again this morning in the difficulty of waiting and waiting and waiting on God. I want to just give you a sense of, of, of how many times the promises come in the last 10 weeks and how much we're still waiting and, and, and run a little, little age thing for Abraham here. So we go back to Genesis 12, verse 2. Genesis 12, verse 2. God says to Abram, I will make you into a great nation. You are going to have so many descendants after you. It's going to be just an amazing thing. Now, we don't know exactly how old Abram was when God made this promise, but I, I'm going to suggest 65 because he first made this promise in Ur of the Chaldees, and then Abraham moved up to, to Haran, and he lived there for a number of years, and then he gets to the promised land. And guess what? When he gets to the promised land, God says, oh, guess what? I'm going to give you more descendants. To your offspring, Genesis 12, 7, to your offspring, I will give this land. This one we know. Abram's now 75 years old. So let's guess about 10 years in between there. So to your offspring, I will give this land. Then we jump to Genesis 13. Abraham has gone down to Egypt. He's come back. Maybe it's a couple of years later and so on. But God says, I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted And again, we're not sure, but let's just suggest Abraham is 77 now. The ticker is going. The time is passing. He's getting older. We jump to chapter 15. Again, God comes and says, I promise you this, a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And so God took Abraham outside and said, look up at the sky, count the stars if you can indeed count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Okay, now we're 78 and we're counting. Now, when we get to Genesis 16, it felt like maybe we had an answer, right? Because we we read these words. So Hagar bore Abram a son. Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son that she had born. All right, we finally got the promise fulfilled, and we're ready. 86, I mean, started at 65. So what, we got 31 years? Not too bad. A little bit of a wait there. So 21 years, I think. My math isn't all that good. Um, So anyway, um, you know, Abram's age is is 86, and, and, and so we're waiting for that. But then we realize that this is not the one. We're told a little bit later, this is not the one, and so we're still waiting. Beginning of chapter 17, I will make you very fruitful. God comes again. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. Later on in that same chapter, your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. And now we are at 99. And we're still waiting. And we're still waiting. And we're still waiting. And, and, and so to recognize that, that our God is a God who does keep all of his promises, but not on our time, is an important thing to do. Living with God is often living in waiting. It's often waiting for God to do something, waiting for God to step out. And that's where we are now. We're still waiting, and so is Abraham. 
The place where Abraham is waiting is a place called Hebron. You can see it here on, on where Israel is, the Mediterranean Sea off to the left. You see the, the Salt Sea, the Dead Sea there to the right, the Jordan River. And, and Abram is in Hebron. Now, if you go further south than this, down to the bottom of the screen, if you go further south than this, it becomes really barren desert. If you go north of this, it's much more fertile. So he's kind of in the in-between place there. There's some, some fertility, some, he, he's got his animals, they can be fed and so on, but it's not full of greatness. But he has found a favorite spot there near what are called the trees, uh, the great trees of Mamre, okay? Now, this is just one. We don't know exactly what kind of a tree it was or what these trees were, but uh, this is a tree that grows in that area now, and if I had to guess, it'd be something like this. So not the mighty oaks that we might be used to around here. But in this part of the world, this kind of a tree would be an amazing gift, all right? To be able to be out in the desert, to get shade, to be able to rest, to be able to relax, to be able to just find a place to cool off from the noonday sun. That's where Abram is. He's waiting. He's 99 years old. Sarah is there with him. And, and they would also had again, Abram was wealthy, and, and so they would have had maybe 300 people with him. Right? I mean, he had a whole bunch of people around him. And, and, and so Abraham was, was there, and he's waiting, and he's wondering when God is going to act. And God comes to him. Chapter 18, here we are for today. The Lord appeared to Abram near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Now, we know that it's the Lord. Okay, it's going to be three people, the Lord and two angels. Abraham doesn't know that. Okay, the author wants us to know this is God coming to Abraham. But, but Abraham does not know that. What Abraham sees is this. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them, and he bowed low to the ground. All right, so he sees these guys, and he goes, and he, and he, and he drops his head. I don't know if he got on his knees, but he certainly bows low to the ground. Now, we might look at that and say, well, he knows it's the Lord. Obviously, would, No, this was, this was standard hospitality in that day. What we're going to see from Abraham is an amazing act of hospitality. And hospitality was really important in those days. I think it's going to become more important in our days again as people feel more and more alone. But in that time, think about it. Again, there's, there's no fast food restaurants. There's no slow food restaurants. There's not gas stations. In this part of the world, no hotels, no motels. If you're traveling, you've got what you can carry, okay? You've got what you can take with you. And for anything fresh, anything new, anything that's not whatever, you know, dried and, and so on, you got to depend on the hospitality of strangers. And so it was very clear. One of the most important things was if there was a stranger who came to you, you, you went to them and said, please, let me take care of you. Please, let me take care of you. And that's, and that's what Abram does here. He, he, he said, if, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. You want to know if you have the gift of hospitality? What Abram says is, oh, please, would you stop? Because it would be a great honor to me. It would be so much fun if I could make you a meal. If you've ever had the experience of going to somebody's house with hospitality, with that gift, you know how you know they have it? When you leave and you say, we did them a favor by going over there. Right? They did such a good job of saying, this is so... I mean, that's what Abram would say. Can I, if, if, if you would let me, please, let me take care of you. Let me, let me offer you something. And, and again, just classic... Just classic Middle Eastern kind of style here, because Abram says, "You know what? And, and I, I just just a little something, okay? Uh, let a little water be brought, and, and, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. And then let me get you a little something to eat. We, we've got burgers on the grill, and we actually have a few extra. So let me just, you know, let me get you something to eat, not much, so you can be refreshed, and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant." 
So he comes and he says, you know what, let me, let me give this to you. Just a little water. It's not a hassle. It's not a problem, right? If somebody stops by, that's what you say. We had a guest stop by at, at lunch on Sunday a couple weeks ago, and we said, oh, we got extra ribs. We, you know, we're all set. No problem whatsoever. We got plenty of food. That's what Abram says. And, 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 and they say, very well, they answered. Do as you say. Now watch what Abram does. <laughs> watch, watch what Abraham does, because it's really amazing. So Abram hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. I'm not going to give you the bread from this morning or yesterday or whatever. Get three seahs. We don't know exactly how much that was. It was either enough to feed ten people or a hundred, but way more than enough to feed three. Okay, so bake fresh bread of the finest flour. Get out the good stuff, all right? So she's got to knead bread, and it's flat bread, so it wouldn't take that long to rise and everything. And, and then again, but it's just a little something, just a little, not, not much work at all. Then he ran to the herd <clears throat> and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to the servant who hurried to prepare it. It's one thing to have burgers on the grill. It's another thing to have the burgers still in the cow. I mean, that's what's going on here. He says, it's going to take me just a minute. And then he goes gets a live animal and says, they've got to go through all that. And, but it's like, I've got the opportunity to bless somebody. I've got the opportunity to care for somebody who's in need. Can you imagine if our hearts were that good at that? But I've got the opportunity to, to, to help somebody else experience joy. I've got the opportunity to do that. So he goes out, doesn't know these guys at all, doesn't know that it's God or anything, doesn't know that it's angels, but he just says, you know what, I have the opportunity to serve somebody. I have the opportunity to bring somebody else joy. So he gets that all done. I don't know. I mean, it's got to take a little bit of a while. A couple of hours, I would assume. If you're gonna, I don't know how fast it takes. But, to, but to, I, when, when we were in Cuba, I did have the opportunity. We, we had a pig roast down there. And um, the pig arrived alive. Um, but it was five hours before we ate him. So I don't know if it was that long. I guess it was faster. But this is no small deal. He then brought some curds and milk and, and the calf that had been prepared and, and set these before them. Now, this is a, somebody's rendition of this. And, and other than the fact that I think there would be more tents, it's not bad. It's not bad. You can see three visitors there. Abraham, at this point, is, is washing their feet, giving them that. If you have good eyes, you can see Ishmael off to the left and Sarah just peeking out of the door. Just kind of, you know, wondering what's going on out there. It would not have been uh, inappropriate. It would have been inappropriate for her to be out there. But, so she's kind of hanging out in the tent. So Abram brings all this stuff out there, and while they ate, um, he stood near them under a tree, okay? So he doesn't eat with them even. He just stands near them. Is there anything I can get you? Do you need anything else? They ask him a question. Where's your wife Sarah, they asked him. There in, in the tent. And then they make another promise. They make another statement. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And in those words, you know, if you've been with us all 10 weeks, the promise was, yep, you'll have descendants. No, you'll have a son from yourself, and, and you'll have a son uh, from Sarah, and his name will be Isaac. Now we get the first time, the time, within a year. The, t- the clock is now ticking. <laughs> within 10, 11, 12 months, within that time, she is going to have a baby. And, and, and it's interesting, we don't get Abraham's reaction. Up to this point, whenever there's been a promise like this, we've gotten Abraham's reaction. This time, this time we want to learn about Sarah. Because Sarah has been busy cooking and, and so on, but now she's busy eavesdropping. Uh, she's got maybe somebody else doing the dishes, and you can imagine her. I picture her just kind of sitting right inside that flap of the tent, um, maybe, you know, 
crocheting or something, but really listening with everything she's got. All right, she's listening with everything that she's got. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind Abraham, behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. We know we've been waiting for 10 weeks. We've been talking about that. But again, it's waiting. It's waiting, friends. That's so often what we do. So Sarah's inside. She hears this. And it's interesting to see how she reacts. And this is, I think, one of the most really powerful moments. For me, this is a really deep, powerful moment in Scripture um, because it's so honest and it's so raw and it's so emotional. So Sarah laughed. Sarah laughed to herself and thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I, will I now have this pleasure? I, I think we need to recognize this is not the laugh of joy, okay? This is not the laugh of somebody who says, you're kidding me, I just won the lottery. Sarah doesn't hear this promise from this stranger out there, and, and she doesn't say, oh, great, now we have a date. Oh, great, now we know that I'm going to get pregnant in the next three months sometime. This is fantastic. I'm so excited. You know what she does? She laughs, and it's, it's friends, the laugh of bitterness. It, it's the laugh of bitterness, the, the laugh of someone who won't be fooled again. You see, Sarah has been listening to this for 35 years. For 35 years, Abraham has been coming to her and saying, honey, we're going to have a baby. (laughs) First, I'm 55 years old. No way. No, no, it's true. We're going to have a baby. He promised. And, and, And then 10 years later, he came back and he said it again. Sarah gets her hopes up. And it doesn't happen. And two years later, and then three years later, and then again, ten years later. And and Abraham keeps coming back, and they keep saying, you know, saying, I met the the Lord again, and he made this promise to me. Isn't that great? And at this point, I think Sarah is just so broken. And Sarah is just so hurt. All she can do is laugh. And it's the laugh that says, are you kidding me? Seriously? You're going to fall for this one again? You think I'm such an idiot that I'm going to get my hopes up? I have done that time and time and time again, and it has just crushed me. And I am so sick of it. I am so sick of of daring to believe. I am so sick of trying to hope. You think it's really going to happen now? He's had 35 years to keep this promise. Seriously, God, are you... If she didn't laugh, she would have cried. It's the only other option. You probably know that laugh of bitterness. That that laugh of of just saying, I'm sorry. I hear the sermon, Ron, but I can't believe it today. I can't believe it today because my marriage is still where it's been, even though I've been praying and believing and hoping for the last 25 years. It's not changed one bit. My kid is still walking away from the Lord, Ron. Don't tell me how good God is. Don't tell me how faithful God is. It's been 20 years, and I am still waiting. I have been praying against this addiction for so long, but I am still waiting. And you say, you know, I hear what you're saying, but it hurts too much, right? You, you've had that, where somebody has made a promise. He said, you know what, really, this is going to happen. And you say, I just don't even dare to believe. That's what Sarah does. She she laughs to herself and she thinks, now that I'm old and worn out, my husband is an old man. Really, seriously, we're going to have this? God being God knows. Even though Sarah does this, notice this to herself, right? She thinks this. She doesn't say it. But God being God knows. And he, interesting to me, he confronts it. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? And then comes the question, 
that I think God wants to give to us, and I want you to recognize it as one spoken in love. Because the question God asks us over and over again when we feel that hurt, when we are overwhelmed with pain, when we don't dare to believe, he says, is anything, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And I love that picture of God coming to us in our pain, of God coming to us in our brokenness. And, and, and I think what God wants to say to us over and over again is keep your eyes on me because I can handle anything. What tends to happen when I'm struggling, what tends to happen when I'm in a difficult situation, when I'm, when I'm trying to work on something and nothing is happening and I'm not getting it right and nothing is changing, is I look at it and I say there's no reason to think it's going to change. I don't have the strength. I don't have the ability. I can't change this. And that's why God says don't look at yourself. Look at me. It doesn't mean God's going to do it right now. It doesn't mean God's going to do it in your way or on our schedule or anything. But God says, you've got to understand something. I'm big enough. I'm big enough. And one day I will make all things new. But is anything too hard for me? And that's really the, the fundamental question that, that so many of us have to ask and say, God, do we really believe that nothing is too hard for our God? Do we really believe that he will one day be able to make all things new. This, this gets repeated over and over again in Scripture. Some of you may remember the story of when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, the mother of Jesus. He says, you're going to have a baby. And she says, uh, look, I know I'm from Podunk, Israel here, but I know a few things. I was raised on the farm, and I'm a virgin, and I, I'm virgin and don't have babies. How's this going to happen? And you remember what Gabriel says? Let me, let me show it to you. Gabriel says, nothing. Nothing will be impossible with God. Is anything too hard to the Lord for the Lord? I know it's hard to believe that when we've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and praying and begging and asking. But nothing is impossible with God. Jesus himself later on is telling his disciples, and, and he says, it's, it's really hard for a rich person to be saved. And they say, well, if a rich person can't be saved, who can be saved? And Jesus says, well, you know what? You're right. With man, this is impossible. Matthew 19, 26, but with God, all things are possible. And again, this is not saying, well, let's all believe this, and then I'll go win a gold medal in the next, you know, four years from now. No, not, that's not possible. I'm just telling you. I mean, I guess God could, but I don't think he's going to. But, but it's saying, you know what, God is going to make things new. God is going to keep his promises. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return. I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. God's speaking to Abraham, but he's also speaking to Sarah. (laughs) And Sarah was in the tent, and she was afraid, because this guy knew what she was thinking. And so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. Why do we get told that? I mean, why, why, why is that part of the story in here? I think, I think that the reason we're told that is, is because what, what Scripture shows us time and time again, there are two things here. On, on the one hand, what Scripture tos, shows us time and time again is, is that God understands our bitterness. God knows our pain. God knows our brokenness. God knows how difficult it is at times for us to believe. But I think what we learn here, what we see here, is God doesn't accept it, okay? And I don't mean that God doesn't accept us. God does. He loves us. He knows our pain. But what God says to us is, don't ever lose hope, all right? Never give up. Never give up. He calls us to be people of hope. And so he says, look, nothing is too hard for me. Nothing is too hard 
for me. And, and, and I think about that, and I think, you know, when I find myself in that place of bitterness, I, I think it's important to know God understands. But I think also God challenges me to say, Ron, don't give up. Don't lose hope. Because I will come through. I will make it new. And that's where this part of the story ends. I'm going to cheat because I want to look forward. I want to look forward to 10 months later. And, and we're going to go backwards again, so we'll be waiting next week again. But Genesis 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. And Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the very time God had promised him, the wait is over in a couple of weeks. And Abram's age is a hundred. But I want to look at what Sarah says. Sarah says, Genesis 21, verse 6, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Isaac's name means laughter. This is the laugh of joy. This is the laugh of someone who has experienced God's grace. This is the laugh of someone who who has realized that in our deadness, God brings new life. This is the laugh of someone who has realized that in my sin, I am still forgiven. And God has washed away all my sins through the cross of Jesus Christ. And the laugh of knowing it's going to be okay. The laugh of knowing it's all going to be good. It's the laugh of joy. And Sarah laughs that laugh. And And as Steve said earlier, I think one of the ways, the reason I think this story means a lot to me, is, is that we live our lives between the two laughs, or between crying and laughing, however you want to say it, but between the two laughs. At, at, at times, each and every one of us knows the laugh of bitterness. At times, we know the laugh of, of pain, of hurt, of death, of, of, of brokenness in relationships, of sinfulness. We know the laugh of bitterness. And if we are in Christ, we also know at times the laugh of joy. Those times when we see God, when he does open up the heavens, and we see his goodness and his grace. And, and, and I want to suggest that with almost every biblical character, you can go through their life and talk about the times when they were the laugh of bitterness and the times when God turned it around and they experienced the laugh of joy. You could talk about Moses and, and, and David, but I just want to give you one example, all right? One example, that is the disciples on Easter Sunday morning. The disciples on Easter Sunday morning, think about that. Jesus was crucified on a Friday, right? He's been in the tomb. The disciples are gathered there. They're afraid for their lives. The women go to anoint the body with spices, and they come back. And some of you remember what they said. They said, he's not there. An angel told us he's risen from the dead. And you know what the disciples did? They laughed. They said, are you crazy? They wouldn't believe the women. Are you crazy? We've seen dead. Dead is dead. You don't get undead. It's over, and and they laughed the laugh of bitterness. They laughed the laugh of pain on that that Sunday morning. They they knew what that was. Then imagine 12 hours later, right? I mean, just picture it. They've been been just saying, it's over, it's done. We we, we tried our best, but it's done. And they're bitter, and, and they're painful, and it's broken, and it hurts. And then Jesus shows up and says, I'm back. Peace peace to you. And as they start to believe it, I can just picture them wrapping their arms around him, slapping him on the back, and just laughing, right? Just laughing the absolute, complete, and total laugh of joy. The, the, the laugh of joy that just, just 
explodes from them. And there were times after that when they did the laugh of bitterness and other times where they did the laugh of joy. But in this world, that is where we live. We live between the times. But the promise of God is that one day, the promise of God is that one day we will no longer cry tears of bitterness. We will no longer laugh the laugh of bitterness. But one day we will celebrate and we will be in a place where we will laugh the laugh of joy forever. The laugh of joy will be something that we sing about and celebrate and there will be no more tears and no more mourning and no more crying and no more pain. And and that brings us to this table here. That brings us to this meal. But because this meal kind of looks both ways. It looks back and it reminds us that in the bitterness and pain of our own sinfulness, we've experienced the laughter, the the joy of, of, of the forgiveness of our sins through Jesus Christ. But even more, maybe this morning, I want you to think about this meal about eating this bread, about drinking from this cup, about taking that in anticipation. Because the Bible says someday there is going to be a great banquet. Someday there is going to be an unbelievable banquet, and we will laugh, and we will eat, and we will drink, and we will celebrate, and it will be amazing. It will be a time of laughter. And Jesus said, eat this meal until I come back. Let this be an anticipation let this be a, a, a looking forward to you. as you eat the bread. Remember that someday it's going to be filet mignon. And we're going to tell the best jokes in the world. And we're going to laugh like crazy. And when you drink the cup, remember someday it is going to be the absolute best wine there is. And we will have a banquet together. So that song that Steve introduced from Psalm 126. Restore us, O Lord. Remind us and give us your grace so that we can laugh the laugh of joy at the table. Remind us that one day we will experience full joy. Let's pray together. Father, we know bitterness and pain and hurt. And we sometimes look at others and say, yeah, they don't know. They don't know mine, and they probably don't have as much as I have. But we all do. Father, remind us that there is nothing that is too hard to you for you, that nothing is impossible for you. And fill us, Father, even though it's only anticipation, but fill us with laughter, the the joy of knowing that one day all things will be made new. Help us as we take this bread, as we drink the cup, to remember that one day there is a great banquet that we will celebrate at. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.